Good morning, Moore Tribe. We're so glad you could join us for our version of Church Online. We hope to bring a piece of our home and authentic atmosphere to wherever you are right now. We miss you all and pray blessings over you and your families. We will be posting more on all of our social media and would love for you to follow, watch, and comment to keep us all connected. Lastly, we want to ask you to please give online to support your church. We couldn't do any of this without you. We appreciate your support, your prayers, and the time you've taken to be with us right now. Well, good morning, church. Welcome to another installment of Church Online, and I'm so ready. When this all started, I really thought that in about eight weeks we would be through it, but it's been a long time now, and uh, I can't wait to get back together. I said it in the very first message that I preached during this pandemic is when we get through this, there's just going to be this new appreciation for each other and for being able to come and do what we do. And man, it really is growing in my heart. Uh, I miss uh, seeing us. <laughs> I miss worship, being hearing your voices, and I'm always up front, and I can just hear the, the congregation, sometimes louder than the stage, just worshiping the Lord, and I miss that. So June 21st can't get here soon enough for me. Now, I don't think there's anything magical about you coming back into this building. Um, this isn't the building's not the church, you know, say, hey, you know, come back to church. No, it's the assembly, and that's what I'm calling you back to, not just to go to church. I want you to get back into church. I want you to make a commitment to get back into church, into the church body, into people's lives. You see, we are the body of Christ, and we have a job to do. James 5, 19 and 20, out of the message, and I love it out of the message. My dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them. Get them back, and you will have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. You see, the reason I want you to be back into church and into the body of Christ is because we have a job to do, and we are going to be proactive to you know, head off, head off this new epidemic that could happen and that is that people wander away from God, wander away from the church, wander away from God's people. He said there's this epidemic that must be prevented, and that's the job we have to do. You know, many are scattered uh, after the churches didn't meet. Many have not been even keeping up online, and, and so many are going to be afraid to come back into the church even after we start meeting again. The devil is going to try very hard to keep you away from the assembly of the church. Because we know the real power of Jesus is found in his body. Jesus had a body, he did ministry in the earth, and he still has a body that does ministry in the earth. And that body is the church. You know as well as I know that we can have great worship. I mean, you can fall down and just sense the presence of God like crazy in worship. You can hear a great message and be moved to tears, even moved to repentance. But there's nothing as powerful as operating in your gift as the body of Christ in seeing people set free, seeing people loved, and brought into faith in Christ. That is the power of Jesus. That's the power of the body. James 5.16 says this, If people come in and they've sinned, you should tell each other what you've done. Then you can pray for one another and be healed. The prayer of an innocent person is powerful, and it can help a lot. You see, the innocent people there are the church. It's the people that are under the blood of Christ. It's us that have faith in Jesus and what he's done. And, and we're the ones that, that have power in our prayers because we stand under his righteousness. We operate in faith as his body. The church is for sinful people because we're all sinful. You say, well, you know, sin makes God unhappy. And I always thought, why does it make God so unhappy? And the reason it makes God so unhappy is that God desires more than anything else for us to be happy and healthy. Jesus is the example of this. While Jesus was in a body, 75% of his miracles were healing miracles. Why? Because he wanted to bring healing so that he could bring health and happiness to the people that were hurting, that were in pain. 
One of the main jobs of the church, one of the main jobs of us as a body of believers is to help Jesus set people free. Not just from bondage to sin, but freedom from their shame, from their past, from their pain, from their guilt. I know in my life that I've, I've sinned and I've felt the power of guilt. Guilt has kept me away from God's people. Guilt has kept me away from doing ministry. Shame has kept me away. They're powerful in their spirits. And they're designed by the devil to keep people of God down, especially when they sin and when they fail. I want to tell you that the church is for sinners. And it's here for you to be restored, not here to make you feel condemned. We want you to be set free. Come as you are, not as you should be. It's more than a clever tagline of our church. It's an invitation. It's an invitation for you to come without fear of judgment, to come without fear of condemnation, to never feel less than or unimportant. And acceptance like that can only happen in a non-judgmental church. Today I want to talk about the purpose of church, and that's one of the things I want to go into is because, you know, we, we have to have a reason to get back into this place. Uh, you can sit at home and you can watch great sermons from all over the world. You can listen to the best worship in the world. But the truth is you cannot minister and be who God created you to be outside of this assembly of believers. So there's a purpose of the church. And I'm going to use a familiar story. I'm going to use the story of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And when Lazarus died and, and Jesus came and resurrected him. I'm going to use that story to talk about the purpose of the church. Well, it's a familiar story, and I'm not going to read it all. It's in John chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to paraphrase the first part of it, and then I'm going to get into some specifics so that I can clearly show you uh, that there's a purpose for the church. Now, whenever we do this, I want you to understand something about Jesus. Jesus, he never spoke unless he spoke in a parable. That's what it says in the Word. A parable is a, uh, uh, it's a story, so to speak, with dual meaning. It'll have meaning about an earthly meaning, that's a very practical meaning, and then it has a spiritual meaning or a kingdom meaning, which means that he has a spiritual application. So everything Jesus said had two, at least two understandings. One was natural, one was spiritual. Now there's other things that Jesus did. When he did things, you have to understand that there were living parables. There's stories that Jesus did, and he actually, it was a historic event, but it not only happened in the natural, but it had spiritual meaning. The raising of Lazarus from the dead, the, the death of his friend Lazarus, and the whole story that's told here in John 11 has a dual meaning. It was a real event, but it's not just in here because it happened. It's in here because it's teaching us as the children of God for today what it means to be the church. Well, this man Lazarus, he was... He had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they, it says here that they were the friends of Jesus. It even goes so far as to say that Jesus loved them. Of course, he loves everyone, but I think he just had a special connection with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Uh, he spent a lot of time at their home, and he loved them. Well, it says here that Lazarus got sick, and the sisters, they, they sent word to Jesus. They said, the, the one that you love is sick. Now, I want to stop right there. It, you see, Mary and Martha... And Lazarus, they represent people in the church. That's what they represent. So whenever they said they sent word to Jesus that their, that their brother was sick, it's just like you and I that go to the Lord in prayer and we lift someone up who's sick. Uh, we bring those needs to Jesus. That's one of the purposes of the church. You can't really know what's going on in people's lives if you're not in their lives. That's one of the reasons we're in church. Is so I can know when you're sick. It says in James that when you're sick, you're to call the elders of the church. We anoint with oil. We pray over you, and the prayer of faith brings healing to your body. That's one of the purposes of church. You can't do that if you're not in the congregation. So we see right away that one of the main purposes is prayer, prayer for one another. So they sent word to Jesus, and it said that Jesus, he didn't come. He waited two more days, and before he came, he had a plan to do that. And it said that Lazarus died in those two days. He died in that time frame. And so it says that he died. And you, you have to understand that when he's talking about Lazarus being dead, it's a symbol of other church people that wander away from God. Maybe they end up getting into a place where their ministry is dead or their marriage is dead or their 
friendships are dead, or maybe their testimony is dead. There's a lot of reasons that church people or God's people can step away from God and find themselves in a position where they're not dead and buried, but their ministry or their life or their testimony uh, is so damaged that it seems like they're dead. And that's Lazarus, what he represents. We pick this story up now in verse 21 of chapter 11. The sisters come out, and they both say the same thing to Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, that's us. We are church people. We are God's children. We read the Word. We know what God says in His Word, and we believe every word of it. And we know that God can do anything. And many times, things happen in the earth, and we're kind of like, God, you could have stopped this. Why would you let this happen? Why would you let that person go so far and, and wander away so far, God? And we don't always have those answers. Sometimes God's ways, many times God's ways are not our ways. Many times the way that God operates in the earth, we don't quite understand. But it doesn't change the fact that these two sisters represent the faith that we should have, and that is we know that God can change any situation no matter what. In fact, they go on and say, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know, God, you will give whatever God will give you whatever you ask. Wow, that's powerful. That's the kind of faith that we should have. Regardless of how far gone someone is, regardless of how long they've been in addiction, or regardless of how badly they've damaged their testimony or ruined their family, they're never outside of what God can do in their life. It's called faith. It's believing in something you don't see. It's believing for the good thing that you know can be on the other side of a bad thing. So Jesus, in verse 34, he says this, or he asks this, where have you put his body? Now, when Jesus asks a question, he's not asking for information. He's teaching. And so whenever I read this question, it instantly says to me that Jesus is asking us the same question. Where are the dead things in your life? Where are the dead people in your life? Where are those people that need Jesus to resurrect them? You know, many times something has to be completely dead before it can experience resurrection. And Jesus is saying, take me to the dead thing. Take me to the dead person. Let me bring my power to this deadness, and we'll see a resurrection. And Martha says something, or Mary says something that's very uh, interesting. She said, well, Lord, come and, come and you'll see. And Jesus started crying and the people said, see how much he loved Lazarus? Now, I just want to stop right here before we get into I, I love this about Jesus. Jesus knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He wasn't crying because he had died and gone. It's, it's teaching us that how Jesus feels, even when we're in the midst of, we're, we go far away from God. Sometimes we do things that cause us to to really ruin our testimony. And Jesus knows that he can restore us. Jesus knows that we can be restored, but because of the pain that's in our life, because of the pain that the death causes, Jesus really grieves. It really hurts his heart. You know, there was a time in my life when I stepped into a very grievous situation in sin. Uh, there was a time in my life that I committed adultery in my marriage. Wendy and I have been married 39 years. And there was a time in my life that I violated that. I, I committed adultery. And it was a terrible time. It, it was a time that I felt like I had killed everything in my life. I had, had, because I committed adultery and I was in ministry... I lost my job. I lost all my friends. I lost, nearly lost my marriage. I felt like I had ruined my family. Everything in my life felt like it was dead. And when I read these verses, I know that even though Jesus knew the end of the story, he knew the restoration that would come into my life, it grieved him. It grieved him. And he was crying because he cared about me. He felt the pain that I felt, even though I'd done it myself. Even though I was the one to blame, he felt that pain, and it broke his heart. 
You know, some people sat there and they said, see how much he loved Lazarus? And that's the way he feels about me. He, he cries whenever, whenever we find ourselves in that position that we, we, we're in a, in a bad place because of our bad choices. And some of them said, he gives sight to the blind. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Yeah, he could have. And sometimes, you know, whenever you get into a bad situation, you want to blame God and say, God, couldn't you have stopped this from happening? Yeah, he could have. But many times he doesn't. And many times he lets us go all the way to the end. He lets us go way far into sin or way far into something we know we shouldn't be into. And we want God to rescue us or stop us or put up a roadblock, but he doesn't. You know, sometimes we have to go so far as to kill everything so that he can resurrect it. And that's what he did with me. Our job is faith. It says that when Jesus came to the tomb that he was still terribly upset. He was just upset when we're in bondage. So he goes to the tomb, and it was a cave with a stone rolled against the entrance. And he told the people to roll the stone away. And Martha said, Lord, you know Lazarus has been in there four days, and there's going to be a bad smell. Wow. Isn't this just like church? Isn't that funny? Sometimes we don't ever want to admit our condition because it stinks. Yeah, it was a bad smell. Jesus still wanted the stone rolled away. It's a bad smell. The what, what people do in their life sometimes, what people find themselves in, sometimes it's really not good. Sometimes it does stink. Sometimes it's a bad smell. I just want to say this. Get used to the smell. If we're to be the church that God called us to be, you get used to the smell. It's the job of the church. Jesus spelled it out. I just want to say that we're not in a contest to prove our worthiness. It's not a worthiness contest. We're not sitting here trying to prove to each other that we're better than we are. Sometimes whenever we have to pull it away and say this really stinks, before God can come in and do what he needs to do to resurrect us. It said that when Jesus finished praying, he shouted, Lazarus, come forth. And the man that had been dead came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of burial cloth, and a cloth covered his face. And Jesus told the people, untie him and let him go. In another translation, it says, loose him. You see, this is the job of the church. Our job doesn't stop when Jesus resurrects a dead life. Our job doesn't stop when someone gets saved. We are in people's lives. They are in your life and they, you are in their life because our job is to loose one another, to set each other free, to take off the grave clothes, to get rid of all the old stench, to get rid of it all so that they can step into who God created them to be. It's a beautiful story. But there's, a more, there's, a, there's another part of this story, and it's found over here in Zechariah, an Old Testament prophetic book, Zechariah chapter 3. A minute ago, I was sharing with you about uh, when I stepped into what I stepped into and uh, committed adultery in my life, and it was a very painful time, and painful time for all of us. And thank God, Wendy found forgiveness in her heart. And she forgave me, and she wanted our marriage to work. And thank God that my family forgave me and wanted me back. And that's, that's the rest of my story. But the truth is, there was a process to all of that happening. And whenever Lazarus came out of the tomb, and Jesus said those words, untie him or loose him, he was explaining something to us as the body of Christ. When someone destroys their life because of sin, when someone finds themselves in a position where they're actually dead in their trespasses, and Jesus resurrects them or saves them, or they're recommitted to Christ or whatever, the story's not over. I mean, what I had done when my wife forgave me, you know, God had forgiven me, but I was still in a place where my ministry was dead. God had designed me from the time that I was created in my mother's womb just like many of you, he had designed me for something special, and it wasn't just to be a salesman. It wasn't just to be in a secular job. God wanted me to, to be someone that would share his good news and to share his powerful grace. That's from the beginning of my life. I've known it since I was first saved. And God wasn't through with me. I was through with me 
The church was through with me, it seemed, but God wasn't through with me. And so I want us to see the rest of the story out of Zechariah chapter 3. It's something that God spoke to me before he brought me back into this pulpit to do what I do. Zechariah 3. It says, Then an angel showed me Yeshua. Yeshua, Joshua, it's Jesus. It's the same name as Jesus. And I just want to say this about this. This is a very powerful thing. Whenever you read this, you need to understand that Jesus died for you and as you. Jesus identifies with you. He took our sin. He gave us his righteousness so that we could be sons and daughters just like he is. So when you read this word Yeshua, I want you to just put your name there because this is you. You identify with Christ. You're buried with Christ. You're raised to walk with Christ in newness of life. So whenever you read this, you know that he's talking directly to you. That's what the Spirit of God told me when he gave me this chapter years ago before he brought me back into ministry. He said, the angel of the Lord showed me Daryl, the high priest. The deal is, I never stopped being the pastor that God called me to be. In my mind, I did. In other people's minds, it did. But in God's mind, no. I was standing before the angel of the Lord. And the accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand making accusations against me. And you know, this, I've been in this situation. And, and the devil will be, man, he really loads up. And he, he blasts us. And many times I feel like I load the devil's gun just so he can blow me up. And that's what he was doing. He was making accusation, and I was receiving it. I didn't feel like I had a leg to stand on because what I'd done, I'd done. You know, I didn't have any excuses. And so that was the situation. God saw me one way, but the devil was blasting me and saying, he's not worthy, he's this, he's that. And you know what the devil was saying was probably true. It was true. But you know, there's great power sometimes in agreeing with that. Because, you know, whenever you know that you're dead, then you can be in a perfect position for God to resurrect you. And that's where I was. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. Yes, the Lord who's chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that's been snatched from the fire. Wow. That's what the Lord says. It's a rebuke, and it's for every one of us. Anytime you find yourself way out there, who knows where. I don't care how far you go. You can't go far enough to get away from God. The Word of God says, even if you go to hell, He's right there. So there's nowhere you can ever go that God's not there. I love that. And He rebukes the devil's accusations against you, even if they're true. Because the truth is, Jesus took that sin on the cross, and He gave you His righteousness, and He can no longer, the devil can no longer bring accusation against you because there's no legal grounds. He's like a burning stick that's been snatched from the fire. And Yeshua's, or my clothing, was filthy as I stood there before the angel. So the angel said to the others standing there. I have this underlined. The angel said to the others standing there. The others standing there, that's you and me. That's the church. You see, it's one thing to be forgiven by God. It's another to be forgiven by the church, for, forgiven by man. And I was standing there. I was filthy. I knew it. I was standing before the Lord. And he said to the others standing there, you take off those filthy clothes. So the church removes the old stench. That's what he's saying about Lazarus. When Lazarus was resurrected, Jesus resurrected his life. And he said, loose him, untie him, get those grave clothes off of him, get that stench off of him and release him into what he's called to be. The church removed the old clothes. And turning to me, turning to Yeshua, he said, See, I have taken away your sins, and now I'm giving you these fine new clothes. The church clothed him with new clothes. And then I said, and this is Zechariah speaking about Yeshua. And so it's, it gets, you have to really 
figure out where it's going here. He said, I said, they should place a clean turban on his head, and so they put a clean priestly turban on his head and dressed him in new clothes while the angel of the Lord stood by. I just want to make this emphasis again. It's the church that removed the old clothes. It's the church that put the new clothes on him. And then it was Zechariah who was a leader in the church. It represents leadership in the church. Someone in leadership said, put a turban on his head. It's a position of authority. When you put the turban on the head, it speaks of authority. And I can tell you in my, my case, I had done what I had done. I was dirty and I was filthy and God forgave me. And then he, he instructed the church to remove the stench, to remove the old grave clothes, to put the new clothes on me. And then they said, we are going to establish him in the authority that God had placed him in before. This is the power of the community of the church. This is the power of God's grace, which is operating through the hearts of men. This is something you cannot experience by sitting at home watching sermons on TV. You've got to be in the body of Christ. You've got to be known. They have to know your stuff. And they have to be willing to get into your world and, and, and establish you where you're supposed to be. This is my story. I, I, I just can't stress it enough. It's not, it's not just good to grow in favor with God. Jesus grew in favor with God. He grew in favor with man. And that's what it takes for us to walk in the fullness of who God has created us to be. He's created us to be something. And he's designed the church for us to grow up into that something in this body of believers, in a body of believers. It's God's grace that's exhibited through the hearts of men that makes this happen. And then the angel of the Lord spoke very solemnly to Yeshua, or to me, and said this, this is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. If you follow my ways and carefully serve me, then you will be given authority over my temple and its courtyards, and I will let you walk among these others standing here. Wow. I remember when the Lord spoke this to my heart. He said, yes, I've forgiven you. Yes, your family has forgiven you. Yes, the church has forgiven you. And now the church is asking you to come back and be reestablished into the authority that you had before. And then he gave me this charge. He said, this is a gift. And you need to obey me. And if you obey me, I'm going to let you do what I called you to do. I'm going to give you back that place of authority. I'm going to let you stand among my people. And I'm going to let you pastor them and lead them. I had such a different sense of responsibility, a different sense of what it meant to be in this position. What an honor. But I didn't truly understand it before I went through what I went through. I didn't truly understand. But you see, it's in the power of the church that these types of things take place. It's in the power of God's grace that you can experience this. It's a high honor. John 8.32, Jesus said, You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is so unbelievably powerful, too. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Of course, the truth is Jesus. But it even goes beyond that. What's the truth, Lord? The truth about yourself. So many people don't know who they are. And one of the responsibilities of the church is to help people know who they are. We must be able to see who we are in Christ. You know, if I couldn't have seen prophetically what God was showing me about reestablishing me, I could never have risen back up in enough faith to do what God created me to do. I had to see who I really was. It was that truth about who I really am that set me free. And that's the same truth that can set you free. But it's in the church, in the body, that you find out who that is. You know, when God designed you, when God created you, he had something in his mind. He, he, he looks at you and he has this perfect image of you because 
When he creates every one of us and he knows what giftings he's giving us, he knows what abilities he gives us, he knows all these things. He has something in mind for you to use those giftings and abilities to bring glory to him, to his kingdom. You won't know who that is outside of him making it known to you. Wouldn't it be great to really figure out who God created you to be? Well, that's the church's job. We have a responsibility a job to the people that come into our midst. We have a responsibility to prophetically reveal who they are in God. Because it's that prophetic revelation that opens people's eyes, that gives them enough faith to stop being something they're not and start being something God says they are. It's powerful. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen. When there's no clear prophetic vision... People quickly wander astray. And when you follow the revelation of the word, heaven's bliss fills your soul. How beautiful. You see, without a clear prophetic revelation, prophecy means that God reveals something that we don't know otherwise. He prophetically shows us. Many times you can get that on your own just by sitting at God's feet and in prayer. But most of the time, you get prophetic revelation, a clear vision for who you are through other people in the church. At Moore, at this church, we, we heavily rely on prophecy, personal prophecy. We do it with integrity. We do it with accountability. But I can tell you, it's a big part of what we do here because we believe that if you don't have a clear prophetic vision for your life, that you're going to just wander around. We want you to be who God created you to be. And the only way that can happen is for you to know it you to see it and when you see that truth it's going to set you free it's going to set you free so today i just want you to take away from this message the fact that it's important to be in church it's important for you to be the church and to be in each other's lives i'm so excited that we're just the clock is ticking and the weeks are going by and we're getting close to june 21st and we're going to reconvene and i pray that we can have church just like we've always had church. And this place will be full of joy and dancing and praising God. And it'll be full of prophetic revelation and encouraging one another in the Lord. I know that's what God's heart is. And I know that's what God's bringing us to. And I want you to have faith for that too. But I also want you to make a commitment to be here. Be in your seat and be who God created you to be. Let's pray together. So God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this church. I thank you for more. I thank you, Lord, for the faith of the leadership of this church. I thank you, God, for the way that you've operated in this church for so many years. I thank you, God, that you've just put, filled us with heavenly bliss so many times because we begin to walk into the prophetic revelation of who we are in you. God, we love you. We thank you that you've made us all. You've created us all. You've made us special, God, in every kind of way. You've filled us, God, with so much hope. And Lord, no matter how dead our life seems right now, no matter how far away it is, we know that it's just one just moment away from being resurrected. And then we can get in here and we can let these grave clothes come off, God. Let, let the people that hear this word, God, let them have faith to come into a body of believers and to bear themselves and to find healing and restoration for their soul. We love you, God. We praise you. We thank you, Lord, that you're the King of kings and Lord of lords and everything's still in your hands. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. See you next week. God bless. Well, good morning, everybody. We are so pleased and honored to be able to, to lead worship once again. Got some good songs for you this, this morning, some new stuff that we just really hope will bless you. And, and um, we're looking forward to getting, get, getting together and, and worshiping together with you in the room. It's going to make a huge difference for us. And, <laughs> but um, we're just going to go ahead and just start off with a word of prayer and, and we'll get right into it. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord.
Thank you for all the ways that, that you look after us and, and lead us on and, and illuminate our eyes and, and our spirits, Lord, with your word, your spoken word, your written word, your everlasting love for us, Lord. And, and We're just so hopeful, Lord, for the, the times that are to come future. We just know that you're with us, Lord, and we thank you for bringing us strength during this time and on this day. And we give you this day, Lord. And we just ask and hope and pray that you are blessed by our worship. It's all for you. It's all to you.
Mystify, arouse, and confuse me. Shatter all my plans and illusions that I might lose my way. Don't let me see the path or the light until I am ready to be led to the harbor of the pool and the willing. 
Take 